should have been tomorrow morning. It's your flexibility. We had no choice. We're here Saturday night. Uh, grateful to be have been with you guys this past uh, day and a half, and um, so thankful to have been able to study God's word with you guys and look at this down and out life of love that we're called to in uh, the scriptures. Uh, thankful for your attentiveness and your patience with me and uh, just all the great conversations and the fun times we've had together uh, so far this weekend. It's not over yet, so uh, I've got some time here to enjoy together tonight. Um, I want to begin by telling you about uh, a Japanese word. It's daikyu. Daikyu is uh, Japanese for the number nine. The number nine. Every year in Osaka, Japan, the number nine chorus performs the final movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, otherwise known as Ode to Joy. It's a song that may be familiar to you. The number nine chorus uh, every year is 10,000 people strong. It's a gigantic choir singing a classic song. It's an impressive display of timeless music. You can look it up on YouTube later. Now, I'm no expert on choral music, but great choirs and smaller ones too demonstrate a beauty and timelessness that is rare in music today. The melodies and counter melodies and harmonies are woven together to create beautiful textures. The best of choirs contain many voices like the one in Japan, but they really sound like one voice. There's a melding and a sweetness to the best of choirs that is pleasing to the ear of the listener. Our passage tonight uh, speaks of a voice, and it's Paul's prayer for the Roman church. He says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Rooted Student Ministry, we have spent this weekend talking about love. Love that has come down from God in Christ. And love that we are to then live out toward one another. And so, Paul's prayer for the Roman church is my prayer for you and uh, Pastor Scott's prayer for you. That because of the love of God as, that has transformed each of your individual hearts that you would together in your love for one another with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So tonight we're going to be in the book of Romans. Turn with me to Romans uh, chapter 15. Romans 15. Romans is all about uh, the righteousness of God revealed to mankind. Uh, Romans gives us 
the bad news first. You know Romans. Think of Romans 1 through 3, where it talks about the righteousness of God being revealed to mankind. But it being revealed to mankind exposes man's sin against a holy God. So there's bad news before the good news. And then in the book of Romans, the good news is that God has revealed his righteousness, not only to expose man's sin, but to give his own way toward his righteousness. And it's by faith. From Abraham until now, the way to God and his righteousness is only by faith. You can't earn your own way. And then the rest of the book of Romans shows us God's plan for his righteousness. You see, it doesn't just reveal our sin, and it doesn't just give us a way to him. That's not the end. There is a specific plan that we call the plan of redemption, by which God's righteousness will continue to be revealed graciously to all of mankind. It shows God's plan for the nations in Romans 9 through 11. And in chapter 12 on, it shows God's plan for his own righteousness in the church. And specifically, Paul begins to write very individually to this church in Rome. And one of those ways that he talks about the way that God's righteousness must continue to not only be revealed, but lived out is in Romans 14 and our passage tonight in Romans 15. Uh, you're at Romans 15. Actually, turn back a page if your Bible's like mine and look at Romans 14 just to get a little bit of a taste of what's going on in the Roman church and to see how something like what's happening in the Roman church might be true of a church just like this or a youth group just like this. Look at Romans 14, just the first two verses to get a taste of what's going on in this church. Paul says there, Romans 14, verse 1, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. That one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Man, we're talking about vegetables at the end of a retreat here. Uh, if it's every time I wanted vegetables, it's, it's now. Romans 14, just these first two verses help us to see uh, that there are two groups of people in this Roman church who have differences in how they live out their faith. Uh, some eat only vegetables. Some are down with meat. Smoked meat, you could say. Some observe holidays. Others don't observe those same holidays. So there's Jews who are fastidious and religious and hold to certain convictions. And Paul's saying that's good and fine and okay. He calls them the weak brother. And then there's Gentiles who don't hold to those same convictions. And he, said, he says also that's good and okay. And yet there's conflict. Because these convictions are so important to both of these groups. And so the question in Romans 14, and it leads into chapter 15, where we'll be tonight, is the question is, what does it take then for us to live in love and unity, where in chapter 15, which we'll get there in a moment, it says, Paul, Paul there says, 
that we will together with one voice glorify God in a way that we're at peace with one another and loving one another. When we have differences in conviction and there are different levels of spiritual maturity in the room, differences in preference maybe, or priorities, or personality for that matter, how do we live as God's people in unity and love? How do we walk in the love that we're called to? When we have differences in the church, in the terms of this weekend, when we have differences, how do we live with a down and out kind of love? In our differences in what we should watch, what we should drink or not, what we should eat or not, what we should wear or not, in our view of what is godly and good and maybe what is foolish and what is disobedient and what's allowable, how do we together with one voice in the way that we live our lives glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Romans 14 provides the answer, and the answer is this. The logic is this as well. Paul says, Christian, whether you are the weak brother or the strong brother, because God has welcomed you into his kingdom, you are to welcome one another. You are to accept one another in love and pursuing peace. Welcome one another in, for God has welcomed you. Let's be clear. These believers all believe the same thing about the gospel. Uh, they're not differing on the basic things of how we're saved and uh, things that we believe that are core to our faith. These are differences in conviction and opinion about secondary or third-level matters. These are preferences and lifestyle sorts of things. So just to be clear... This is not about the gospel. This is about other things. Look at verse 3. and We see that answer that Paul gives. He says, let the one who eats, well, excuse me, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. There's the reason for because God has welcomed him. So don't judge each other, Paul's saying, because God has welcomed <laughs> both of you into his kingdom, convictions and all that are different. Among God's people, to whom the love of God has come down, we are to live out that love by, in this case, Paul's saying, giving up our rights, preferring one another over our own preferences. There ought not to be anything more important in our lives than the love that we have for one another. We ought to be willing to give those kinds of things up. It's the same logic that we saw this morning in Philippians 2, right? Thinking of others as more important than yourself. Living with the interests of others in mind. And so that's the message of Romans 14, if we can sum it up. Because we need to understand that chapter before we get to chapter 15. Romans 14 then is a living, breathing example of the love that we've been talking about, a love that gives up one's own preference or opinion um, in order to serve somebody else and to welcome someone else in. Well, here in chapter 15, now we're there, we see Jesus. We see Jesus, and that's where I want to finish our time together this weekend. 
We see Jesus in Romans 15, 1 through 13. We see Jesus as both the pattern for and the promise of this kind of down and out life of love that we're to live. We see the pattern of Jesus to follow in his sufferings. And we see the promise fulfilled by Jesus through his work of love on the cross. You see, the pattern of Jesus encourages us. And the, and the pattern that enables, him, enables us in the fulfillment of promise, in our obedience to the Lord. So first, in verses 1 through 7, let's just look at the pattern of Jesus. And then in verses 8 through 13, later, we'll look at, uh, we'll, we'll look at the promise fulfilled by Jesus. So first, the pattern of Jesus. Here in these first seven verses, we see his pattern, his <coughs> example in his sufferings that is the pattern for us to follow as we live out our love. It's the pattern for us to follow if we are to be as one voice glorifying God. Let's read this passage kind of as we go. Let's look first at Romans 15, just verses 1 and 2. Paul writes there, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Romans 15, 1 and 2 really gets us not that much further, it seems at first, than all of Romans 14. You see, Paul is driving home what he's already said in chapter 14 that we kind of summarized. He says here, we who are strong, those who have, are strong in faith and uh, don't think anything of meat or vegetables or one day or the other and holidays aren't that big of a deal. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. You see, chapter 14 said we must accept, we must welcome one another in, in our hearts, even though there's differences. But notice here, Paul is saying, we must, we must not just welcome someone in, we must bear, we must take up the failings or the shortcomings of the weak. You see, the picture here is even if you have a brother or a sister in Christ that is so weak to even carry his or her own failings, just struggling with this, you are not only to love him or her by accepting them, you are actually to help him or her and pick up that burden. And Paul says, I don't, it's not just I suggest you do so, if you want to. He says, it is our obligation to do so. If you love your brother or your sister in Christ, it is your duty, your responsibility. In verse 2, Paul says, why? He says, it's to please our neighbor for his good, to build him up. In weather like this, uh, when you see a truck drive in or a car drive in and you're inside, you're indoors, and you know it's someone 
either coming to youth group and they've got all the food in the car or it's your mom and dad coming home and they've got a bunch of things from the store. Y'all were raised right. What's your instinct supposed to be? Keep playing your video game? No. Put your boots on, get that jacket on, or if you're daring, just keep staying that t-shirt, it's fine. But get a hat and some gloves, maybe at least. And you go outside and you, you help the person carry the stuff in, right? That is your responsibility as a son or a daughter in, in this household, right? Do I sound like your dad? Like, in this household, it is your job to, to help, right? That's exactly what Paul's saying here. As part of the household of God, as part of the kingdom of God, as one whom God has loved, your responsibility when someone else differs or even is weaker than you in their faith, you ought to help bear their burden. You ought to carry their failings even. In love, it is our job to take the burden of the failings of our brother or sister upon our shoulders. You see, instead of judging them and rejecting them from across the room, Romans 14, we are to welcome them. But Romans 15, we are to not only welcome them, we are to bear their burden. We are to please our neighbor and build him up in this way. In verses 3 and 4, Paul pulls out all the stops. Here's the secret weapon. In a Nerf gun war of single-shot Nerf guns, this is the six-shooter. <laughs> this is the, the draw four in the Uno game, the, the ace of spades, so to speak, in Paul's argument. If you think this is too hard in verses 1 and 2 to bear the failings of the weak... Paul says in verses 3 and 4, Jesus himself, in his sufferings for you, in winning your salvation, gives you the example. He leads the way. Everything he's asked you to do, he's done fuller and more and to the extent of death on a cross. He gives us the pattern of what it looks like not to please ourselves, but to please others. Ultimately, to please you, in a sense. Let's look at what that means here. Look at verse 3, Romans 15, verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul quotes a psalm here. He quotes Psalm 69, verse 9, when he says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, <laughs> Psalm 69 is a psalm where David is surrounded completely, not by small group rooms, but by enemies. He's surrounded and he doesn't know what to do. And he's crying out to God. And he's saying, God, I am where I am because I have done your will. I've obeyed you. I've done your bidding. In that psalm, he says, zeal for your house has consumed me. 
He's saying, I, I'm fighting this battle because I want to win this battle for you. And he says there in Psalm 69, 9, and the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, reproach is a fancy word for insult or disgrace or dishonor. What David is saying as he's crying out to God is he's saying, God, I've done your will. I've defended your house and all your enemies, God, your enemies, see me as your man. I'm your representative. I'm your son. And all your enemies see me now because of the zeal I have for your house. They see me as your enemy. All of their insults against you, they've fallen on me because I'm your man. So here in Romans 15, Paul applies Psalm 69.9 to Jesus. You see, all the reproaches and sin and offenses of evil men against God, all the sins of the world, mine and yours as well, have fallen on Jesus at the cross. And Paul saying here, Jesus, he did not please himself when those reproaches, those sins fell on him. But instead he sought to do the will of his father and he pleased God by bearing those sins on the cross. You see, in his life of perfect obedience to God and in his sufferings, and on the way to the cross, being mocked and scorned, and in his death, Jesus is the perfect example, the pattern of what it means to please God by doing his will, never thinking of himself or some escape that he could have. In fact, he could have brought down 12 legions of angels, but he did not, instead enduring suffering and ridicule, even to the point of death. And in pleasing his Father, he also bore our sins upon the cross. <coughs> and so as verse 4 says, Psalm 69 and Jesus' example in the Gospels are for our instruction and our hope as Christians. We think in, of all of that, and we think... Okay, I get it. Jesus, Jesus did that. It sounds like a high bar, though. Sounds tough. If, if that's the example, I'm not sure I can measure up. Uh, how can I find the strength to obey the Lord in this? You see, how do I love someone else and build them up and bear their failings when this other person and I differ so much, and it seems like all the time, and they're just so different than me. Paul gives us great hope in this passage. He shows us, again, as we began our retreat, we talked about this as well, but he shows us our source of strength to obey. Look at verses 5 to 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, 
in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What's the first thing you do when you go on a trip and you get to the hotel, you get to your friend's house? You look for two things. I know I do when I got to Scott's house. I looked for a Wi-Fi signal and a power outlet. This thing <coughs> runs my life. It shouldn't, but it does. But you find a power outlet, because, you know, 88%, ain't 100%. I've got to get there. I don't, but, you know, you've been there. You look for a power outlet. And that's what Paul knows we're doing when we get to this point in the passage. We see the great example of Jesus and we instantly should think, man, oh man, that is a tough bar to meet. I don't know how I'll get there. Verse 5 is our help. It's the power outlet. How do we follow the pattern of Jesus? How do we live up to this perfect example, this pattern of Jesus? Paul says in verse 5, God will grant this to you. It is by God's enablement, his strength, that we will be able to live in love toward one another. It's his will to, for us to live in this way. And so he will enable you to do his will. He'll give you his spirit. And by that spirit, we will be able to pursue this way of love. And then because it's by his power, verse 6 tells us, it's for his glory. It's his will for us to live this way. Then he'll give us the strength to live that way. And we live that way because we live in his design. And it's for the glory of the designer, God himself. God has given you his love in Christ. And he has brought you to life, new life, enabling you to live this life of love and here Paul is showing us, he gives you continued strength and grace to live this down and out love. Rooted, would God grant us the endurance? And would God give us encouragement from his word as he has here to follow the pattern of Jesus? Not pleasing ourselves, but pleasing our neighbor for his good. And also, therefore, then, pleasing God, that we would be as one voice, a great chorus <coughs> that sings in beautiful harmony with each other as we live out our love to the glory of God. Uh, There's another second half here that we need to look at in this passage, but we've seen so far the pattern of Jesus. Now let's look at the promise fulfilled by Jesus, the promise fulfilled by Jesus in verses 8 through 13. Let's read actually that whole section so we can take it all together. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Verse 10, 
And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in <coughs> hope. This is the promise fulfilled by Jesus. You see, Christ is the one who fulfilled, or as Paul says here, confirmed God's promise. And the fact that he did, that's what makes our life of love possible. This is what we saw in 1 John 4, 9. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's our enablement. Now, in 1 John 4, the picture there is that we are given new life. We are born again. And we are given a life empowered by the love of God in Christ. That's 1 John 4. In Romans 15, the picture is a little bit different. It's the work of Christ in fulfilling God's promise of salvation. And that's what makes it possible for us to live this life of love. You see, this life of love is possible because, look again at verse 8, Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. I look around the room and I think, I don't know about you, but for me, for sure, I'm a Gentile, I'm not Jewish. I hope you didn't think I looked like a, a Jewish person. Not that it's bad to look like one, but it's obvious, right? Come on. I think most of you are also Gentiles. And even if you're Jewish, you're covered in this verse too. You see, because Christ became a servant to the circumcised. He served the Jew first, and then also the, the New Testament says the Greek or the Gentile, those of all nations. So all of us have been served by Christ as one who did not please himself, but bore our sins on the cross. You see, what God promised to the patriarchs Paul is saying Jesus fulfilled in his death on the cross. What God promised to Adam, that there would be a seed to crush the serpent. <coughs> what God promised to Abraham, that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. What God promised to Moses, that he would deliver his people and make them his own possession. What God promised to David, that in his line, God would establish an everlasting kingdom. Jesus became the suffering servant and fulfilled, confirmed here, all of these promises. Jesus vindicated God's truthfulness. What God promised long ago, Jesus made true. And so God was proven faithful, proven truthful. And the result, it's verse 9. Jesus, in his death on the cross, brought God's mercy <coughs> to all the nations. 
How did Jesus do that? By his death on the cross. By what we saw when we read the end of Philippians 2, or the, uh, verses 5 to 9, not the end, but the following verses after our passage this morning. Jesus, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, by being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so back here in Romans 15, what we're seeing here is that not only is Jesus our pattern for our love, this promise of salvation that he fulfilled is what gives us new life in him. And that new life is a life of love. Sometimes when I, my way home from work, uh, the plan is for me to pick up dinner. Uh, in California, we have uh, amazing cuisine called In-N-Out Burger. You've heard of it, you've experienced it maybe. Uh, we do Chick-fil-A too, the, the boys love, love their chicken and, and waffle fries. Uh, but usually it's helpful to my wife uh, if I tell her what time I'll be there, what time I'll be home, what time to be sort of ready for, for the chicken. It still needs to be hot, right? Otherwise the boys won't eat it. And so I'll tell my wife, hey, I'll be home at 6 or 6.30 for dinner, and, you know, your phone helps you estimate the exact time and all that. And when I show up with dinner... Uh, if I'm on time, it's great. It's helpful. My wife's ready. Uh, the kids are ready for dinner. But it isn't just that I fulfilled my promise. It isn't just that I, oh, I made it. It's 6.13 on the dot. Well, I use GPS. Of course I'm accurate, right? It's that I show up. I fulfill my promise to come at 6.13. But I have the meal that I promised. I supplied for my family in a sense. That Jesus, in his death on the cross, fulfilled the promise of God, but it wasn't just that he vindicated a promise that God had made over and over and over throughout history. It's that it supplied in full for our salvation. And we are invited as sons and daughters to sit at the banquet table of God as family, adopted sons and daughters, and have a full meal. So the essence of what Paul is saying in Romans 14 and 15 is, y'all are sitting at the banquet table. Enjoy one another. Be at peace with one another. Love one another as you sit and feast at God's table. All that God said he would do came true in Christ. And even more than what was promised in a sense. Friends, and we are the beneficiaries. We are the ones who benefit from God's work in Christ. What's this mercy that we're talking about in verse 9? This mercy is God's gracious withholding of his judgment against our sin. We've talked about this already this weekend, but God who is holy, who is perfect, in his holiness... He, holiness, he must judge sin. He must pour out his wrath upon sin, punishing sin. But God, being rich in mercy, 
and because of his great love for us, gave us his son, Jesus Christ, as the perfect sacrifice for sin. And so Jesus' work in fulfilling a promise here is the work in which he took our place on the cross. What great mercy. Friend, just one more time, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, you do not know this mercy, if you have not embraced this truth yet, even tonight you can turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, the one who loved you perfectly and completely. All you have to do is place your faith in him for what he has done for you. Romans 5, 1. Love the way it states this truth. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then later in Romans 9, 16, Paul says this of salvation. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God has done it all and has done it all through Christ. There in chapter 9, it's significant that it's not dependent on human will or exertion, but on God. Because in Romans 9, Paul says both Jew and Gentile, the very two groups who are having this conflict with one another over their convictions in Romans 14, both Jew and Gentile have peace with God because of Jesus in Romans 9. And so both Jew and Gentile and me and you and all nations of the earth, all peoples have the opportunity to come to God and embrace his righteousness, but only through Christ, not on human will or exertion, not nothing, anything that we do, but by God who has mercy. This weekend is full of small little firsts for me. One of those was, man, this, this was last night. I had my first, my first Casey's pizza. It's a thing. Wow, Casey's pizza's roll into a gas station, just say your name and they give you a pizza. Man, Scott and Holly really splurged on me last night. And had a couple pieces, it's great. Fills you up, gets you ready to go, puts you to sleep, all that good stuff, right? The three of us ate less than half of the pizza. And there, so there was an open pizza box sitting on the counter. Um, and some of y'all came in and thought you were registering for, for camp. But you registered for camp and you had a slice of pizza. Who had a slice of pizza last night? Yeah, you did. There's two of you ate all that rest of that pizza? Okay, maybe there's some other people involved. Yeah, there you go. Involved parties over here. Some staff people aren't willing to raise their hand, but you had some too. It's a really lame illustration for the beauty of God's redemptive plan. You see, there were some whom for the pizza was meant, the three of us, we're going to finish that whole thing somehow. But there are others who were, Paul says, grafted in to that. Given blessing when they didn't deserve. Now the original three didn't deserve either. 
That's what Paul's saying in Romans. No one deserves to, to enjoy the righteousness of God, the presence of God, peace with God. And yet, by Christ, and God in his grace and his mercy gives to all. Not just the original few was meant for, but for everyone. If they would come in faith. So what we see here all throughout Romans, and especially here in chapter 15, is that God's mercy in Christ is for all people. And this message of salvation is hope, not just for Israel, but for the hope of all peoples, for Gentiles as well. That's what all these Old Testament passages are showing, and we're not going to go through each one of them. Um, but let's talk about where they're from so you can understand that this was the plan, not just like us, when we had leftover, we just kind of gave it out. This was God's plan from eternity past. And it's always been his plan to bless the nations through Christ. You see the verse in verse 9 that's quoted is Second Samuel 22.50. That's also a reference to Psalm 18.49. Verse 10 is from Deuteronomy 32 verse 43. Verse 11 is from Psalm 117, verse 1. Verse 12 is from Isaiah 11, verse 10. In a variety of times throughout history, God, through the authors of Holy Scripture, promises of a future time when both Jew and Gentile would praise God for his mercy. They would praise his name among the nations. And friends... In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that time has come. And we're living on the other side of the cross here. Blessed and knowing the, the whole plan. And so just spreading out the timeline and seeing God's grace and mercy is a beautiful thing. The very two groups of people in the Roman church, Jew and Gentile, have been reconciled to God through the fulfillment of these promises in Jesus. These groups, and you and I, and you and the person you might not get along with, are reconciled to God and have peace with God. And so everyone, we are to be reconciled to each other and have peace with each other as well. Our obedience to God and living out our love by accepting one another and building one another up, despite differences and disagreements and convictions, all of that, if we love one another and have peace with one another, it's continuing God's work in reconciling all peoples to him. It's a picture of the gospel, in other words. When you love your brother or sister in Christ, it's a picture of the love of God. The love of God has come down in Christ. We are to live it out in love to one another. <coughs> and by doing that, it goes back up in glory to God. It shows everyone around us that we know God and we have a gracious and merciful God. Paul ends this section with a word of blessing on these Roman believers. Look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. 
This is a declaration of blessing. It's a benediction, kind of like at the end of a service uh, when the pastor blesses the people. This is Paul's blessing on the Roman believers, but it's for us too. That the God who sent his son to die and the God who raised him from the dead would fill us with joy and with peace in believing this truth about Christ and the promise he's fulfilled and that we would then live it out in love toward one another. I wonder if you know someone who, who can't sing, who just, <laughs> they had a bucket to help them carry a tune, they couldn't do it even then. Probably not you, of course. I've heard you guys this weekend, I've heard you sing. But, you know, maybe it's you, or maybe it's your friend. It's okay. It's just not how God has gifted some people. Uh, now, what if you had that friend who couldn't sing? Don't worry, that friend doesn't have a name. That friend's not in this room. Uh, but it was a thing where you joked about it, talked about it. It wasn't an awkward thing anymore. You know, it's not this thing where you avoid sitting in front of them at, at youth group. Like, it's all good. Everyone kind of knows, and you just kind of pass over that. But say you have this friend, and you're like, hey, man, like, you want to learn how to sing? You know, it could be fun. So they, they agree to it. They're like, okay, let's, let's get some help. Let's, let's learn how to sing. So, so you decide, okay, what better thing could we do than to get Gabe to give them guitar lessons and singing lessons? Because that guy has it, and my friend does not. And so one and one make two. Like, let's, let's, let's do this. So this friend now, after several weeks or months, has all the tools to be able to sing. I mean, they're not going to be on American Idol or anything, but at least, at least they've got a little bit. At least it's to start. This person can sing. It's serviceable. This weekend, <coughs> these two days together, <coughs> they've been a singing lesson for us. We have seen that God has designed the Christian life to be a life of love, a life of love and community with one another. That we are to be together in our love, one voice, singing out a beautiful song of unity. Not only has God ordained that you would be here this weekend for this singing lesson, he has, as it says here in Romans 15, given you Jesus Christ as the perfect example of dying to self for the sake of the good of others. That Jesus is our pattern. And God has given you in Jesus not only a pattern, the perfectly sort of in-tune voice to sing along with, but he's given you in his son Jesus a song, the gospel of God's saving grace. The song that in redemptive history has united the voice of both Jew and Gentile. And the song that continues to this day in the church. The song that you and I have. It's the song of the kingdom of God's beloved son. That God would send his son Jesus to die and be the sacrifice for sins. And that God would raise him up in victory over sin and death. What a sweet, sweet song. This song will help us in our disagreements. 
This song will help us in our differences to accept one another and build one another up and to live down and out, to live in love. And so would we, as those whom God has loved, follow the pattern of Jesus in loving one another and together with one voice, sing that song won for us by Jesus, the song of the gospel. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the truth that we've seen here in Romans. We're so grateful to be recipients of your mercy and your grace in Christ. Those, as those undeserving, Lord, uh, you are faithful to fulfill your promises. And the promise of salvation is ours by faith and by faith alone. So we're so thankful. Father, help us to live in the pattern of Jesus and live empowered by the promise the salvation won for us. Father, pray that this weekend has been instructive and helpful, hopefully challenging, and yet hopeful, Father, because we have the grace found in Christ, uh, not only in our salvation, but in our pursuit of this love. Father, so help us, give us your strength to obey, to live in love toward one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.